This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence against women and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Greek traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. As King Acrisius stepped into the dingy, cloudy room, it was clear that he was out of his comfort zone. But the great ruler did not care. He had heard whispers of a prophet able to predict the future of any man. And so, more curious than ever, King Acrisius entered the den of the oracle. Acrisius approached the aging prophet, anticipation rushing through his veins. A smile stretched across the oracle's face as he approached. Oracle, hear me. I am Acrisius, ruler of Argus. Acrisius the Mighty, son of Abbas, grandson of... Yes, yes, dispense with the introductions. I know who you are. King Acrisius, the man who turned on his own brother. Then you know I am not to be trifled with. I warn you. Do not lie to me. I swear. I will tell only what the fates foresee. Acrisius stiffened at these words. He knew the fates could be as cruel as they were kind. He mustered the strength to speak. Oracle, will I ever father a son? (laughs) No, never a son. Your daughter, Danae, shall be the only child you live to bear. But... I see further than that. When the time is right, Danae shall bear a boy of her own. A grandson? If a son of my own is not written in the stars, then at least... Oh, Danae will be so happy. She must find a mate suitable to carry on my line. She... It might be best to temper your excitement. My prophecy is not 
finished. As you betrayed your brother, so too shall your grandson betray you. Once Danae becomes pregnant, your days are numbered, old king. No, it shall not come to pass. I won't allow it. And so Acrisius ran from the room, a rabid determination to change his own destiny set in his mind. The oracle sat in her chair, smile still stretched across her face. She knew, of course, that there was no escaping the fates. Welcome to Mythology on the Parcast Network. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. Today, we're covering the origins of the great hero known as Perseus. Perseus is best known for a lengthy adventure which included the slaying of the deadly gorgon, Medusa. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com slash merch for more information. The story of Perseus is among the oldest of the Greek myths, dating back to at least the 7th century BCE. According to the Ancient History Encyclopedia, the first known literary appearance of Perseus is through the writings of Hesiod, a contemporary of Homer who lived around 700 BCE. Perseus's tale was one of strength and perseverance, as well as heroic actions set to inspire the ancient Greeks who heard it. Though Perseus would one day become a warrior of legend, slaying monsters and rescuing princesses, his story began as a looming threat to his own family. Once Acrisius returned home from his visit with the oracle, he took every precaution to prevent his destiny from playing out. His daughter Danae, once the object of his affection, was locked away in a special bronze tower— Danae's prison was heavily guarded and enclosed on all sides except for a small skylight. Darkness filled the lonely room as a single beam of moonlight shone at Danae's feet. Then, out of the corner of her eye, something glinted off the bronze walls. As Danae turned, the glint brightened, shimmering as a steady stream of gold filled the room. Danae closed her eyes as the gold surrounded her, shining brightly in the moonlight. By the gods, what is happening to me? The flurry of metal circled Danae and her panic subsided, replaced by a sudden surge of knowledge. Despite her father's precautions, she had been paid a visit to fulfill her destiny. Zeus had discovered her beauty, and there was nothing that could stop the king of the gods. Here, Danae's solitude worked to her advantage. For months, she hid her pregnancy from her father and her captors. But once she gave birth, the baby's cries attracted attention. Try as she might, 
Danae was unable to keep the newborn quiet, and he was soon discovered by the guards. Acrisius arrived at the tower to find Danae holding a baby boy named Perseus. I should kill you, Danae. Look what you've done. But you are my daughter and I... No, no. I must end your lives now, swiftly and without hesitation. Oh, please, Father. Have mercy on Perseus. Zeus himself willed life into this baby. Do what you must with me, but spare my son. He has done nothing wrong. Spare him? I cannot do that. I should have killed you when I first heard the prophecy, but instead, I allowed you to live. I have sown the seeds of my downfall. Now I will put an end to... Lightning cracked in the distance, a reminder to Acrisius what the baby's father was capable of. He thought to himself for a moment, was there really any point in killing the child if the gods would slay him in retribution? (sighs) Very well. You both shall be spared, but I cannot take the chance that this boy will gain the upper hand over me. I cast you out from Argus, never return to these lands. And so Acrisius placed Danae and the infant Perseus in a large cask, and he hurled the cask into the sea. The young princess could only watch in horror as her father disappeared from view. His back turned as they were swept away. Fearing for her life, Danae clutched Perseus tightly and prayed to the gods as she floated in her makeshift boat. Zeus heard her prayer and guided the cask onward, keeping it safe from any swelling waves, storms, or other calamities of nature. A few days later, the cask arrived on the shores of Seraphis. Danae stepped out from the cask with Perseus in her arms, both of them unharmed. Danae looked around and noticed a nearby fisherman. She pleaded with the man, begging for food and shelter, going so far as to offer herself up to him in servitude to protect her child. But as chance would have it, the fisherman, called Dictus, would do them one better. Dictus explained that he wasn't just a simple poor fisherman, he was the brother of Polydictes, the ruler of Seraphis. Dictus promised them a safe and comfortable life, and he and his wife took Danae in as their adopted daughter, raising Perseus to adulthood under their roof. For 15 years, they lived on the island of Seraphis in peace. Perseus grew into a fine young man, raised with the positive influences of both his mother and of Dictus. Yet the life of a humble fisherman was not enough for Perseus. The eager young man looked for a quest around every corner, and when he reached 16 years of age, he spent much of his time sailing around the islands of Greece. One day while sailing, the cool air around Perseus grew still, and an otherworldly presence took hold. Suddenly, there was an eerie air of peace that fell over the land, and for the second time, a god took the reins of Perseus's life. A majestic goddess stepped out from the mist before Perseus, standing on the water in front of his boat. Hello, child. Athena, I have prayed at your temple before, but I never thought myself devout enough to make your acquaintance. Your blood makes up for your lack of piety. Your father, well, 
our father, has sent me to guide you on a quest. The mighty Zeus has a quest for me? I'll leave at once. Patience. A great distance from here is the island of Sisthene, home of the Gorgons. There you will find a girl, Medusa, the only mortal Gorgon whose gaze can turn a man to stone. Someday you will slay her. It is a fate we cannot change. But for now, you must return home and train. As you wish, goddess. I'll make our father proud. With a terse nod, Athena vanished. Heeding Athena's words, Perseus turned his boat around and headed home. When Perseus returned to Dictus's dwelling, Danae was nowhere to be found. Dictus sadly informed him that while Perseus was away at sea, Dictus's brother, Polydictes, king of Seraphis, had taken the opportunity to enslave Danae and make her his personal servant. Unlike Dictus, Polydictes was a cruel man, prone to taking what he wanted no matter the means or the cost. Perseus was furious. His mother, who had sacrificed everything for him, would not be the king's slave. Despite Dictus's cries that killing the king was a mistake, Perseus went directly to Polydictes's court with every intent to end his life. Give me one reason, Polydictes, one reason why I shouldn't smash your skull to dust. You wouldn't dare to lay a hand on- Oh, but I would and I shall. Perseus, please. I can't face exile a second time. He's made you a slave. You're a guest in this city, an adopted daughter to his own brother, and he enslaved you. Perseus, forgive him. I'm safe now. Let us end this without violence. Because of his mother's compassion, Perseus relented and spared Polydictes. But the message was sent, and out of pure fear, Polydictes released Danae and dared not pursue her while Perseus was on the island. However, Polydictes soon came up with a plan to get rid of Perseus once and for all. Perseus sets off on his quest after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Perseus had crossed King Polydictes, and the king would not forget it. Fuming, Polydictes spent many nights plotting his destruction. If Perseus were gone, he theorized, Danae could be his once again. And so, Polydictes threw a party. To Perseus's surprise, he received an invitation to the king's party. All the king's closest friends attended his soiree, as did the most influential people in Seraphis. While the invitation was unexpected, Perseus hoped it meant that Polydictes had decided to mend the rift between them. Perseus arrived at the king's hall, ready to rebuild their relationship. However, when he arrived, he found that every other guest had come with a gift as a tribute to the king. 
Perseus, of course, had no gift. When Polydictes saw this, he balked at Perseus. Arriving at a party without a gift for the host, and a party in a king's home, no less. I'd have thought you were brought up better, Perseus. I was brought up to be an honorable man, great Polydictes. And of course I have a gift. It would be quite rude not to. Oh, let's see it then. Where's the gift? All your pockets have holes, so surely you're not keeping it on your person. I do have a gift. I just need to retrieve it. And once I do, it will outshine every gift you've ever received. For I plan to bring you the head of the lone killable gorgon, Medusa. The head of a gorgon? It can't be done. You don't have it in you, boy. But I do, dear king. In fact, it is the will of the gods that I succeed. And with that, Perseus set off. Polydictes smiled. Even the mightiest hero would fall at Medusa's sight. His plan had worked. He was rid of Perseus, and Danae could finally be his. Perseus, eager to set off on his quest, went to Athena's temple to seek her guidance. Dear Athena, lend me your wisdom. The time has come for me to complete your errand. Won't you aid me in my quest? Perseus, as you so brazenly saw fit to promise King Polydictes the Gorgon's head mere months after I told you to take some years to prepare, our hands have been forced. While you have grown into a strong young man, I fear that even the strongest could not accomplish this alone. And so I have brought gifts for you. Athena flicked her wrist, and as she did, two golden slippers appeared from behind her. They hovered in front of Perseus, tiny wings fluttering in the wind to keep them afloat. Perseus could hardly believe his eyes. Behold the golden sandals of the messenger god Hermes, equipped with wings that will allow you to travel at speeds known only to the gods. Take also Hermes' sword, which once claimed the life of Argus, the many-eyed monster. Let the accuracy of the Argus Slayer lead you to a swift victory. Finally, take my shield, young Perseus. Together with the sword, it shall protect you from peril. If you lay eyes on the Gorgon, you'll turn to stone. But with this shield, you will be able to see her reflection. Use my shield as a mirror and allow Hermes' sword to guide your hand from there. I shall burst into Medusa's lair, and she shall know it was I, Perseus, who took her life, and then I shall carry her head home as a trophy to my king. <sighs> Perhaps it would be wise to take a more stealthy approach. Before you head to the island of the Gorgons, you must seek out the three gray women. The sandals here know the way. They will arm you further and show you the path to Medusa. Do not look at her, Perseus. Do not fail, and make it a clean kill. And with that, Athena vanished. Perseus looked at the sword in his hand and the shield strapped to his back and began his journey. With each step he took, he rose higher into the air until the golden sandals sent him aloft and he realized the magic sandals were moving his feet for him. Perseus soared across the globe for miles and miles, until finally he began his descent upon the home of the Grey Women. 
The gray women resided on a large chunk of driftwood floating on the frozen sea. They shared between them one eye and one tooth and passed the objects around as they spoke. Perseus found them peculiar, but he was prepared to face much worse than some eyeless, toothless old women. The gray women, though odd, were helpful, as Athena had asked them to be. They gave him two more pieces to add to his arsenal, a magical wallet and the mystical helmet of Hades. The wallet, they explained, was able to contain anything, no matter the size. As for the helmet, it would render the wearer invisible. The gray women also offered a piece of advice, not about Medusa, but about her Gorgon sisters that lived on the island. Although Medusa herself was mortal, her sisters could not be killed, not even with the sword of a god, so he would do well to avoid them. And so Perseus resolved to employ the stealthy route. He would sneak up on Medusa and kill her before she even knew he was there. The Grey Women directed Perseus to a mountain where he was to find Atlas, a giant who could point the way to the Gorgon's home. Perseus approached the hilltop, looking around for Atlas all over the mountain. Suddenly, the ground began to shake, and in that moment, Perseus realized Atlas was the mountain. His gigantic arms outstretched upward, holding up the entirety of the heavens, his form hunched by the weight. The giant's head slowly turned to stare at Perseus. Who dares disturb my restless watch? It is I, Perseus of Seraphis. The Grey Women have sent me so that you may point me toward the home of the Gorgons. <laughs> Foolish young man. To seek the Gorgons is to seek death itself. You shall never make it to your destination. Oh, but you're wrong, giant. I am here at the request of the gods. If you'll only point me in the right direction, you'll see I shall return with the monster's head in just a few days' time. At the request of the gods, you say? Hmm. Very well, young warrior. I shall aid you on one condition. I have held the heavens above the earth for eons, but I grow tired. Should you return, I request that you show me Medusa's head. Her head? But giant, surely you know what it means to look at the face of a gorgon. Should you look at Medusa even with her head severed, you'll- I know exactly what it shall do to me. Perseus pitied the giant and nodded his head in agreement. Atlas grunted, a begrudging sign of acceptance, and then with one massive arm pointed toward the Gorgon's home. In a flash, Perseus was off. A few days later, Perseus arrived on the island of Sisthene. Though he had been traveling for some time, adrenaline pounded through his veins. This was it. Finally, by the intervention of the gods, he had found the adventure he'd always longed for. Today, he would slay the Gorgon, Medusa. Perseus donned the helmet of Hades, becoming invisible, and then landed softly on the shores. He heard sounds coming from across the beach and immediately turned his back, taking out his shield to reflect the moonlight. 
There, just a few yards away from him, slept three hulking gorgons, snakes sprouting from their heads and hissing in their sleep. Perseus angled his shield, using it as a mirror, and recognized Medusa instantly. Out of the three, she looked the most human. Though her head was covered in snakes, her skin was soft and untouched, a certain beauty encapsulated behind her rocky exterior. Perseus took pause for a moment, yet one of her snakes, though it could not see Perseus, sensed he was there. The snake hissed at the air as the first rays of sunlight peeked over the horizon. Perseus froze. Though Medusa still slumbered on the ground below, the snakes on her head began to awaken. They hissed, tongues flicking at the air. Perseus's heart pounded. He gripped the handle of the Argus Slayer, slowly and silently. The hissing grew louder, and to Perseus's horror, Medusa stirred and her eyes fluttered open. She righted herself, her towering figure looming over Perseus. He stared up at her through the shield, calculating his next move. Then she spoke, her voice sweet at its core, but tinged with a gravelly hiss. Hello? Is someone there? Sisters, I fear that there is someone. Before Medusa could shake her sisters awake, Perseus fully drew his sword, shut his eyes as tightly as he could, and slashed behind himself. He felt the blade hit flesh and a spray of blood cover him. With one single blow, Perseus beheaded Medusa. He heard her head drop to the ground beside him and, staring into the shield, opened one cautious eye to observe her fate. Suddenly, from Medusa's severed head sprang a gigantic winged horse, Pegasus. Pegasus let out a cry, flying toward the heavens. As the horse flew past, he grazed Perseus, knocking Hades' helmet from his head and rendering him suddenly visible. Another figure, a muscular young man, Chrysior, emerged from Medusa's neck as well, bounding away as quickly as possible, a golden sword in his hand. The sound awoke the two gorgons lying next to Medusa. They leapt at the sight of Perseus standing over their fallen sister's corpse. After a brief moment of shock and despair, the gorgon closest to Perseus let out a cry of anguish and charged at him. Perseus saw this in Athena's shield and swung his sword out at the gorgon. Like before, he struck her square in her neck. The blade, however, bounced off the gorgon's rocky skin. It was only then that Perseus remembered the words of the gray women. The other gorgons were immortal. Hurrying, he whipped open his wallet as he burst into a run. In one quick motion, he scooped the wallet over Medusa's severed head, pulled the package up into his arms, and started flying upward. The third Gorgon sister charged at him, grazing the bottom of his sandal. The monsters clawed at his feet, but with one more step, Perseus flew high enough to escape their grasp. Though he heard the wails and weeping grow more distant, he dared not glance down. Though the monster had been slain, 
Perseus remembered he now had another promise to keep. As he approached the giant, Atlas, on his perch, the giant's head swiveled towards him, landslides plummeting down his neck as he turned. You have returned. Have you brought me what you promised? I have. The head is here with me now. Finally, forevermore, I shall be allowed to rest. Perseus opened his magic wallet, exposing Medusa's face directly to Atlas, who took a final breath as his body was immortalized into a solid mountain of stone. For a being as large as Atlas, the process was surprisingly quick. As Perseus traveled closer to Seraphis, the weather worsened, and the waves crashed against the rocky shores, towering nearly as high as the mountains themselves. Perseus flew against the wind, a difficult journey even for the sandals. Just then, Perseus heard a faint sobbing. At first, he paused, unsure if it was a gorgon, somehow pursuing him for revenge. But then the sobbing became a cry for help, and so Perseus pivoted in the air to find the most beautiful woman he had ever laid eyes upon, disrobed, chained to an enormous rock, and very afraid. The storm crashed down around her, and she gasped for air as again and again she was battered with seawater. Perseus didn't hesitate. As a monstrous wave swelled, Perseus leapt in front of it, stealing himself. He would not allow this girl to be put in harm's way for one second longer. Perseus faces yet another monster after this. Now back to the story. Perseus hovered in midair as he watched the fairest maiden he had ever seen thrash against her chains, struggling to escape the chains that held her to a rock. Perseus was enthralled and at the same time concerned. He hurtled toward her just as a wave crashed at the rock over Perseus. Shielding her from the impact, Perseus reached out his hand. Fair woman, I will save you. Don't you dare. I fear you may have misheard me, my lady. I'm going to rescue you. I fear it is you who have misheard me, warrior. I know exactly the fate that awaits me. But do you not see the waters beneath you? The chaos being spun by Poseidon's rage? The god of the sea has chosen to destroy these lands, for my mother has angered him. And so I, Andromeda, Princess of Iopa, am here to be a sacrifice. I shall give my life in exchange for the lives of my people. Sacrifice to Poseidon? A lady as fair as yourself? I won't allow it. I shall best him, best anything he throws at me. Worry not, Andromeda. I am a mighty hero, and I have a trick or two up my sleeve. Fool! It's not Poseidon who's coming for me. He'll send someone to take me. Someone, or worse, something. Just then, the ground beneath their feet began to shake with fury, and the seas began to rise. From the bellows of the ocean, a monstrous sea creature breached the surface with a deafening scream. This was Cetus, a horrific beast covered in scales. Its serpentine tentacles flailed about as its slimy beak gnashed at the air. 
the dragon of the deep let out a second scream before turning on Andromeda, who stood trembling on the mountaintop. Perseus flew between them, a sword drawn. Perseus dragged his sword along the sea creature's neck, spilling vile blood across the mountain. The monster snapped at him with its powerful jaws, but again and again, Perseus managed to dodge just out of reach, thanks to the help of his golden sandals. When he was at a safe distance, he was struck with an idea. Hear me, Poseidon. This land is protected by Perseus of Seraphis, son of the mighty Zeus. Send your monsters here to me, and you shall send them here to die. Perseus pulled the head of Medusa from his wallet. It had begun to rot, but was no less effective. The sea creature took but a single glance at Medusa's horrible, dead eyes, and to Andromeda's shock, was turned to stone. The gigantic rock that was once a sea monster fell toward the mountain and shattered into hundreds of pieces. Almost immediately, the seas calmed and the clouds parted, allowing sunshine to return to the kingdom. Andromeda's father, King Cepheus, approached the hilltop. He assumed that the end to the storm meant that Cetus had accepted his daughter as a sacrifice to Poseidon. When he found Perseus and Andromeda alive on the mountaintop, he was moved to tears at his daughter's safety. Cepheus invited Perseus to a great feast in his honor. In fact, Cepheus was so excited that he suggested it be a wedding feast and that Perseus and Andromeda should officially bind their connection in marriage. Perseus and Andromeda were thrilled and their union occurred the very next day. The celebration of Andromeda and Perseus's union lasted a full week and on the final night of the festivities, Perseus drifted off to sleep only to once again be greeted by Athena. Athena, you have returned. I, I've done it. I have the head of the Gorgon Medusa. I, Perseus, I know of your success. But I've come to remind you, hero, that there is still business to attend to. Or have you forgotten your own mother? Pain crept across Perseus's face. The whirlwind of a hero's journey had made his memory of her fade. He was ashamed, but at once he knew what he had to do. Perseus awoke with a start, and although Medusa's head and the wallet remained, Athena's shield, the sword, and the sandals had disappeared. At once, Perseus began construction of an enormous ship to take them to Seraphis. When the boat was completed, Perseus and Andromeda boarded, reminding the people of Iopa to praise Zeus and worship the wisdom of Athena as they set sail. Perseus practically leapt from the boat as it docked upon Seraphis and ran directly to the temple of Athena, where he prayed quickly to thank her for safe passage. One of the temple attendants gave Perseus the bad news. In his absence, his mother had returned to Polydictes's servitude. Perseus was furious, not only with the king, but with himself. He'd been fooled by a well-oiled trap that appealed to his sense of destiny. 
Perseus burst into the king's chambers, where a small feast was being held for the king's birthday. And there, standing behind King Polydictes' throne, cowered Danae, Perseus's mother, staring down at her feet in shame. Perseus was overcome with anger. Polydictes was stunned. At first, he didn't quite recognize Perseus, but then a look of fear washed over his face. The unthinkable had happened. Perseus had returned, and if he stood before him now, that could only mean one thing. Polydictes, you foul wretch, you tricked me. If you've hurt a hair on my mother's head, shield your eyes, mother. I've come to bring the king a gift. Seize him! Guards, don't let him get to his. It was too late. Perseus pulled the Gorgon's head, shriveled and emaciated, from his pouch. He had delivered his present, and now Polydictes would be able to stare blankly in its direction, his face chiseled in stone for all of eternity. Perseus removed his mother from the king's hall at once, returning her to Dictus's modest home. Since Seraphis had no leader and no one to run the city, Perseus decided to install Dictus to the throne. Dictus ran the city fairly, and Seraphis prospered under his rule. Mother, I fear that our time here may have come to a close. I have a wife now, and Dictus is a king, far too busy to look after you. I think it's time we returned home to the kingdom of Argos. Oh, Perseus, my boy. I wish that we could return. But your grandfather will never allow it. He was cruel enough to cast us out when you were just a baby. Grandfather has nothing to fear from me. I believe everything that happened to me, to us, has made us stronger. I wish for nothing but peace between myself and King Acrisius. And so Perseus, his mother Danae, and his wife Andromeda traveled to the land of Argos, Perseus's birthplace, they sent a scout ahead to announce their arrival, with hopes to extend an olive branch to Acrisius. But when they reached Argos, they found that Acrisius was long gone, as he had heard the news of Perseus's imminent arrival. Perseus was heartbroken. He longed to meet his grandfather and to prove that he would never harm his own family. He confided in Andromeda as he made up his mind. Andromeda, my dear wife... I must leave for now. I must find my grandfather. I know I can convince him to accept me. I trust you, dear husband. Go and find your grandfather. I know in time he will trust you too. With Andromeda's blessing, Perseus set off once again. Soon, he arrived in the town of Larissa, where he had discovered his grandfather had been staying. The night he arrived, a feast was being thrown in Acrisius's honor, including games and sport of all kind. An idea struck Perseus. It was unlikely Acrisius would agree to speak to him face to face, so perhaps he could trick his grandfather into respecting him. Perseus decided to enter the discus competition the next day, a game he knew Acrisius would be attending. Perseus picked up the discus, hefting it in his hand. Perseus let the discus fly, but at that exact moment, a powerful gust of wind swept through the stadium, and the discus sailed off course. 
Perseus's smile vanished from his face when he realized where the discus had landed, square in the middle of King Acrisius's forehead. Perseus ran to his grandfather, but it was too late. As the life slipped from Acrisius's eyes, Perseus held him in his arms, attempting to comfort the old man in his final moments. The prophecy had been fulfilled. Perseus was devastated. After working so hard to become a hero worthy of inspiring others, he was reminded that his fate had always been written in the stars. Upon his return to Argos, Perseus took control of the city in his grandfather's stead, but each day that he ruled over his family's domain, Perseus was reminded of his failure to escape the prophecy. Eventually, the pain became too much for him, and so he decided to give up his kingdom. Perseus arranged a trade with Megapenthes, the king of nearby Tyrans, and abandoned his kingdom to start fresh in another. There, finally, Perseus found happiness, living out his days raising a family. One final adventure for the legendary thrill-seeker, one final quest into the unknown. The legend of Perseus reinforced many values of ancient Greek culture. Acrisius's betrayal of his flesh and blood was a failure to uphold the Greek value oikos, home and family. Betraying one's family would have caused great shame to an individual, and it was telling that Acrisius, arguably the first antagonist of the myth, felt none of that shame. Athena, on the other hand, represented phronesis, or practical wisdom. While Perseus was a fine example of bravery, it was Athena's wisdom that guided him, and this aspect of the story could have been employed as a useful teaching tool for children learning how to model their own behavior. Finally, foolhardy though he might have been, Perseus's actions to save Andromeda represented another value, charis, or kindness. Perseus refused to allow the sacrifice of someone who had done nothing wrong, his sense of dikaios, or justice, prevailing over the logical odds. Sometimes, the myth tells us, it is more important to do what you know is right than what is easy, regardless of the reward. Though Perseus was unable to escape his destiny, the Olympians praised him for his actions. When he died, Perseus was given a spot in the stars. Now, Perseus feasts with the gods by day, and by night, he shines brightly upon the world of the living, guiding us all, showing us the way. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday we dive into another dark classic tale. You can find Tales, more episodes of Mythology, and all of Parcast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. 
We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. Mythology is written by Michael C. Rogers. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Rebecca Ahrens Diamond, Jerry Courtney Austin, Heston Mosier, Sammy Nye, Manib Raymond, and Brett Schneider. I'm Vanessa Richardson. <laughs>